0: In case you're wondering, no, I'm not a Nephilim, I'm just tall. <laughs> so don't pick on me. Hurts my neck to look at you. Um, all right, so good morning, everyone. Uh, yes, good morning. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit, but one ministry in particular of the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to cover all of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. I'll do that probably in future sermons. So today today we're going to be looking at John chapter 16. The scripture will be behind me, Um, hopefully you can read that. Now some of you may have noticed when you're reading the book of John or the gospel of John as it's called, that it's a little bit different from Matthew, Mark and Luke's gospel account of Jesus. So they're all telling the story about Jesus. Matthew, Mark and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. Now the reason they're called the synoptic gospels is because they're very similar in content to one another. But when we read the Gospel of John, we notice that he, he includes uh, miracle stories and uh, teachings of Jesus which are not commonly found or aren't actually found in Matthew, Mark and Luke's Gospel. Now, one of the reasons for this, you may not realize, is that about half of the book of John is dedicated to the last few weeks of Jesus' ministry. So it's like a zoomed in view of the the life of Jesus. It's zooming in on that last couple of weeks or last couple of days leading up to the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So we can see that, for example, in chapter 11 of John's gospel, he raises Lazarus from the dead. You remember he says to Lazarus, come forth, and a man who was dead for four days comes out of the tomb. And it says it was getting really near to the time of the Passover, and the Jews were already coming and making preparations. And then in uh, John chapter 12, we read it was only six days before the Passover. So in John chapter 12, there's six days away from the Lord Jesus being crucified uh, in Jerusalem. Now, yeah, so the dialogue on the Holy Spirit that we're, a lot of us are familiar with from John chapter 14, 15 and 16, is a pretty in-depth dialogue that took place, most probably the night just before his betrayal, because we read in John 17, he moves straight from talking about the Holy Spirit in John 16 to John 17, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane just before his arrest. So up until this time, the disciples have spent three years traveling with Jesus, observing his miracles, which God worked through him and hearing the messages that he preached. And he tells them that he was soon to depart from the earth. He was about to be delivered up and betrayed to death And uh, he says in John 16 earlier, because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. And that leads up to what we're currently going to read in John chapter 16, verse 7 to 11. So I'll read this to you now. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you and when he is come he will convict the world of sin of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me of righteousness because i go to the father and you see me no more and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged now earlier on in john chapter 14 jesus explained a bit about this coming one the holy spirit and he said i will pray to the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus promised that he would not leave without sending the presence of God to earth. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. And uh, when he, when he would come, he would come to the disciples Uh, And he would be with them in place of the Lord Jesus and Jesus said it's actually to our advantage That he goes away. Have you ever thought about that? Why do you think it might be to our advantage? Like wouldn't you sometimes wish that Jesus was here right now that we could have a conversation with him? Well, Jesus was stuck in one body on earth But now that the Holy Spirit has come he can be in every Christian all across the world No matter where they are whether they're being persecuted in prison in China or whether they're here today this morning The Holy Spirit is present on earth with his people. So that's a wonderful truth. It's to our advantage that the Lord Jesus went away. And we see here that the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world. So we need to look at this word convict. What on earth does convict mean? Now we're reading this in English, but when John wrote his gospel, he originally wrote it in Greek. So we've got to go back to the original languages for a moment. So the Greek word, now forgive me if you're a Greek scholar, because I'm going to absolutely butcher this word. It's pronounced elangcho elangcho. That's the word that we translate into the word convict. The Holy Spirit will convict the world. He will elangcho the world. Now this word has different um, variations of meaning in English. It can mean to reprove, to rebuke, to refute, or to expose. But the best way that we can understand this word is if we see how the author himself uses this word in other places in his gospel. How many of you know the best way to interpret the Bible is let the Bible speak for itself? We've got to let the Bible interpret the Bible. There's no point in listening to these high-up scholars who ignore simple and plain readings of the text. So let's go straight to the word of God and get our answers from God himself. So John first uses this word um, for convict. In his gospel in John chapter 3 verse 20 so in the context of this verse in John chapter 3 verse 20 the Greek word is most often translated exposed instead of convict so I'll read it to you John chapter 3 verse 20 says everyone who practices evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed that word exposed convicted So according to John chapter 3, verse 20, the word convict can carry with it the meaning of exposing sin in a person who is guilty. The next time this word appears in John's gospel, it's in relation to the woman who was caught in adultery in John chapter 8. Now, as most of you know, the story, uh, the Jewish leaders had actually found a woman, somehow found a woman, and caught her in the act of adultery. I have no idea how that works, but they've caught this woman in the act of adultery, and they've dragged her before Jesus. And they want Jesus to sanction her stoning. In other words, they want Jesus to say, this woman is deserving of death and we should pick up stones and throw rocks at her until she dies. So they continued asking Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 7. They continued asking him. He raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. So he who was, when Jesus said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. It brought conviction of conscience to those who heard that. And this is that same exact Greek word. They were convicted when Jesus said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. So they realized that they may not have been guilty of the sin of adultery, but they were still guilty before God. Um, they, may, they may have been uh, convicted by their own conscience that they too had done things deserving of God's judgment. Now we see this word again, uh, That it brings uh, a strong sense of exposing sin and hypocrisy you see these religious leaders were hypocritical and they're bringing this woman to Jesus for condemnation the only other time we see this Greek word appear in John's gospel is in John chapter 8 verse 46 Jesus was confronting the Jews who were mocking him and rejecting his message and he asked them a question which of you convicts me of sin and if I tell you the truth why do you not believe me Jesus was proclaiming the truth and making the Jews uncomfortable. And how many of you know that the truth can be uncomfortable? People don't want to hear the truth anymore in our society. They only want to hear what makes them feel good. They want to hear a message that affirms their current beliefs and their lifestyle choices. But the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. And he convicts people of the truth of God's word, especially when it's proclaimed that's why the Word of God is called the sword of the Spirit. It's the weapon that the Holy Spirit chooses to pierce men's hearts. And of course, the Holy Spirit himself is the author of the Word of God. So um, a few years ago, uh, I was a part of another church. I will say a few years ago, because it probably was about uh, eight years ago, because uh, it's a bit of an embarrassing story. And if I tell you that it was a couple of weeks ago, you're going to think ill of me. So... <laughs> It actually was a couple of years ago, though. Uh, I was reading through the book of Hebrews, and I came to chapter 11 in Hebrews. And I, it was, you know, obviously the great chapter of faith, you know, men of faith conquered. And uh, at the start of Hebrews chapter 11, it says that, uh, well, I thought it said that God created the world by faith. And I thought to myself, wow, that's a strange doctrine. That's really cool. God created the world by faith? And so I went to church that night and I started proclaiming to all my friends, guess what I just discovered. Did you know that God created the world by faith? I'm like, God used faith to create something. And and I started making some little pet doctrine out of this. Anyways, it happened to be that there was um, a guest at this church who was part of the Gideon Society. Now, the Gideons are very good at handing out Bibles, but they're also very good at reading their Bibles in context. So this blessed brother in Christ approached me and he said, what is this that you're teaching? And I I said, oh, it's in Hebrews chapter 11. And he got out his little Gideon's Bible and he said to me, can you just read it for me, please? I'm like, sure, sure, sure. And so I read to him Hebrews chapter 11, verse two. And I read it, he said, can you read it out loud for me? I said, sure. Hebrews chapter 11, verse two says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were created by God. A- and, and he stopped and I stopped and yeah, he said, he, so you see, it's by faith we understand God created the worlds, not that God created the worlds by faith. And uh, yeah, I shrunk back and I was quite embarrassed but he exposed something in me. He, he convicted me. He did it in love and gentleness, but I was convicted that what I was teaching was not in alignment with the truth of God. And the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. And he's going to bring things to light that make us feel uncomfortable. So, um, we'll go back to our text. Now, the Holy Spirit, we've got to ask ourselves, who is the world? The Holy Spirit convicts the world. There are some preachers today that teach that the Holy Spirit only convicts non-Christians. I don't know if you've come across these sorts of teachings, but they say that the Holy Spirit will never point out sin in your life. He'll never point a finger on you and say that you've done anything wrong because you're only righteous in the sight of God. One such preacher I'll mention by name because he's extremely popular. I don't mean any disrespect to him and he has been approached publicly on this before, so I feel okay to say it. Uh, Pastor Joseph Prince of New Creation Church in Singapore. Now, some of you probably have his books on your shelves, Destined to Reign" and so on. He leads a church in Singapore of 5,000 members and he can be watched on the Australian Christian Channel. He's a really nice guy by all accounts, but in this one area, he's severely wrong. So in one of his books, he stated, the Holy Spirit is certainly not a fault finder. He doesn't convict believers of their sins. In fact, the Holy Spirit never convicts a believer of their sins. He never comes to point out your faults. I challenge you to find a scripture in the Bible that tells you the Holy Spirit has come to convict believers of their sins. You won't find any. Well, challenge accepted, Mr. Prince. Thank you. Um, I will take you up on your challenge. I don't want you to believe what i have to say and i don't want you to believe what joseph prince has to say i want you to believe what the word of god has to say we need you guys to examine the word of god for yourselves to know the truth and to allow the holy spirit to take that truth and make it real to you you see the bereans in acts chapter 17 were commended because in acts chapter 17 paul had proclaimed christ to him them that christ was the messiah and he, he specifically commended them because they were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they searched the Scriptures diligently to see if these things were true. That's what I want you to do. I want you to search the Scriptures diligently to see if what preachers tell you are true, to see if what prophets tell you are true. Let's search the Scriptures and get it from God's Word. So, challenge time. Does it say in the Bible that Christians can be convicted by the Holy Spirit? Revelation chapter 3 We know Jesus is addressing the churches in the book of Revelation through the Holy Spirit. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, he's addressing the church of Laodicea. And Jesus is speaking and he says, I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked." And then it goes on to say, "'As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent.'" That word for rebuke in the Greek is this exact same word for convict. "'As many as I love, I convict and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent.'" And it concludes with, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is Jesus speaking to the Apostle John through the Holy Spirit directly to the churches. And he says, as many as I love, I convict and discipline. So we see that the Holy Spirit has come to convict us of our sins. Um, he's come to call us to repentance to change our mind to realize when we've been wrong to realize that what we believe Isn't always in line with what the word of god teaches Now in case you think that's an isolated scripture. I want you to see again in hebrews chapter 12 Where we see again that the holy spirit does indeed convict the church So in hebrews chapter 12 verse 4 addressing christians And says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when convicted by him. For the Lord disciplines the one who he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Again, this is the exact same Greek word, Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when you are convicted by him. It says um, in the end of Hebrews chapter 12, Now no disciplining seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, God wants to produce the life of Christ in us. The scripture says that he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. And part of that process involves pointing out areas of our lives that aren't in alignment with him, that aren't in alignment with his character, his heart of love for the world. And we need the Holy Spirit to come and to convict both us and those who hear the message that we preach. Sorry, I wrote a lot and I realized that I don't want to preach a three hour sermon, so I'm being nice. (laughs) so he convicts us of immorality so that we can become more like jesus now one of the confusions arises because in the scriptures we read in revelation chapter 12 verse 10 that satan is called the accuser of the brethren who accuses us accuses us before god day and night and some people don't understand what the difference between the accuser of the brethren and the one who comes to convict of sin is so does anyone know the difference between the two this is a facetious question. I don't really want to have a conversation, I'm sorry. <laughs> so Paul makes the distinction in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. He says, Godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. You see, godly sorrow in the believer produces repentance. And it's not something we should, we should be sad about because it leads to salvation. It leads to our salvation, it's for our good. But the sorrow of the world leads to death. You see, Satan's goal is to make you feel guilty and to alienate you from the life of God. He wants to tell you that you're a sinner and that you're going to hell, but he doesn't want to give you any remedy for it. He wants you to feel condemned and walk away condemned so that you don't seek the Lord for salvation. The Holy Spirit, on the other hand, exposes your sin so that you can be healed and reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. He convicts you of sin in the hope that you will repent and get right with God. So if you're feeling convicted this morning, if you feel as though you're not right with God, don't run away from Him, but run to Him. If you turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus, you'll be forgiven, you'll be cleansed and reconciled with a holy God. You see, the Holy Spirit's like a good doctor, um, you know, and He's giving you a truthful report about the condition of your body. Now, what would you think of a doctor who only tells you what you need to hear? Like, let's say you had cancer in your body and you approached the doctor and the doctor said, no, you're doing well, you're, you're, you're looking really healthy today and nothing really showed up on the report. That's a bad doctor. We need a doctor who can say to us, listen, there is an area of your life that needs addressing. And if we address this area of your life, there's hope. We need a doctor that brings us reality and truth, not one that deceives us into thinking um, that we're okay when we're not. So if we go back to our text in John chapter 16, we see that the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world, both Christians and non-Christians, in three distinct ways. Firstly, he's come to convict the world of sin. Now specifically, uh, this is the sin of unbelief. Jesus said of sin because they do not believe in me. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say of sin because... You know, they commit adultery or sin because they're, you know, getting drunk on weekends or sin because they're telling lies. No, no. Of sin because they do not believe in me. This is the sin above all sins. This is the greatest sin in scripture. A rejection of Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. The sin of unbelief. It is the root reason that people continue in sin. They've rejected the Messiah. 1 John Uh, Chapter five, verse 10 says, he who does not believe in God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. So what John is saying is if we don't believe the testimony that God has given of his son, Jesus Christ, we're accusing God of being unfaithful. We're accusing God of being a a liar, of telling an untruth. You know, when someone says, oh, I've I've committed too much sins to be forgiven by God. Well, baloney. The scriptures say that if you confess your sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Don't call God a liar. God can forgive you and reconcile you through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, it was Satan who questioned the reliability of God's character in the Garden of Eden. Remember what he said to Eve? Did God really say that? And then he inserted his own words. You surely will not die. Don't believe the lie of Satan. Don't heed the voice of Satan. We need to yield ourselves to the word of God, not to the word of the enemy. So our allegiance needs to be for Christ and not towards the words of anyone else. So this isn't just about believing in the existence of Jesus. We know famous atheists nowadays, even like Bart Ehrman, who's a famous skeptic, They don't believe in the supernatural um, aspect of the Lord Jesus. But in studying history, you'll find there was a real flesh and blood Jew named Jesus of Nazareth. There's no other rational explanation for the the rise of Christianity in the Middle East and the tenacity of the early Christian followers. Everyone knows from studying history that there's um, sources outside of the Bible that make it obvious that there was a man named Jesus Christ who was put to death under Pontius Pilate so there was a real man who lived the question is are we going to trust the fact that he healed the sick that he opened the eyes of the blind, that he proclaimed salvation are we going to believe the disciples who said we touched a resurrected jesus and put our finger in the nail print of his hands and put our hand in his side where the spear wound was are we going to believe the testimony of the lord jesus that he truly is the son of god who was raised from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of the father and are we going to trust that what he said is trustworthy Trustworthy enough that we can lean our full weight and confidence in him Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me There is no other way that we can be made right before god We need to be convicted of our unbelief even as christians sometimes it it might be that We are feeling guilty. We are feeling alienated from God. And we need to be reminded of the truth that when we put our trust in Jesus, God forgives us of our sins and that we are made righteous in his sight. But we also need to be convicted of our unbelief and trying to do things in our own strength. We read in John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what he says to the believers. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But how often do we lose sight of that and we go into battle without the Lord Jesus? We think that we can overcome sin in our own strength. We think that we can have the boldness within ourselves to tell our neighbors about Christ, but then we chicken out. You see, we don't have it in ourselves. We don't have the strength and willpower to overcome sin and to live a victorious life. We need to put our faith in the Lord Jesus. The same faith that justifies you also sanctifies you. The same faith you put in the Lord Jesus at his death and burial, we also need to put that same faith in the resurrected Lord Jesus who is now seated at the right hand of the Father, who has sent the Holy Spirit to dwell with us so that he did not leave us orphans. He came to us in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So we don't have to live alone. We don't have to try to battle and war alone. If you're being overcome by temptation this morning... I promise you, if you turn to the Lord Jesus, you'll be set free from the power of that sin. You'll be delivered from it so that you're no longer lorded over by sin, but your Lord Lord Jesus is reigning over you and you'll be victorious over that sin. Now, Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 28, the Jews had asked him, What must we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. So do you want to do the works of God this morning? Jesus says to you, believe in him whom he sent, being himself. Now back to the text behind me, the Holy Spirit also convicts the world of righteousness. And Jesus said, because I go to the father and you see me no more. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21 says, God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus became sin on a cross, but he was the one who knew no sin. He was the sinless one. That's why he could carry the weight of our sin and the weight of our judgment on the cross. So the Holy Spirit convicts us of the truth that Jesus was the sinless one But now that Jesus has gone to be with the Father, now that the Holy Spirit has come, he's living in the Christians to show the world a little taste of the righteousness of Christ on earth. Now, for for the world, for those of you that aren't um, followers of Christ, what this means is we need to, uh, well, I should say you need to, we all need to, abandon any hope outside of Christ of obtaining righteousness We need to abandon our our own strength, our own abilities. And we need to acknowledge that we have fallen short of the glory of God. We need to stop turning to quartz crystals and yoga meditations, self-help books. We need to throw out our tarot cards and we need to seek the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus alone for righteousness and right standing before God, because he's the only way that you'll find righteousness and peace. There is no hope outside of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Christian, um, now that we have our faith in the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come, and we read in the Scriptures that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, kindness, self-control, and so on. And so we are to reflect the image of Christ on earth through the Spirit of God that now dwells in us. Have you ever, uh, I don't know if you've ever had someone apologize to you after they swore in front of you? Have you ever had that experience where someone at work just let out this awful swear word, or they're, you know, ranting about someone, and then they realize there's a Christian in the room, like, oh, I'm so sorry, I, you know, hope I didn't offend you. That's a good thing. They're recognizing that we're trying to live with a good conscience before God, and they're recognizing that what they're doing is evil. And so it's a good thing when the Holy Spirit convicts people of sin, when they see the way that Christians are living, because we're supposed to be Christ followers. Our life is supposed to follow the one that we worship and love. And so they should know a little bit about Jesus by observing our lives and observing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist, once said, out of 100 men, one will read the Bible, but the other 99 will read the Christian. And so we need to realize that we are on spectacle for the whole world to see What is Jesus like? How did Jesus live? How did Jesus treat people? You know, and hopefully, you know, they'll see how we're long suffering. They'll see how we stand in the face of opposition and how we continue to love people and continue to serve people, even when it's uncomfortable. And it will reveal a little bit of the nature of Jesus on earth. Now, the last section in the text is that the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged we read in 1st John chapter 5 verse 19 that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one and in 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 Paul's writing and he says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ Now, you only need to turn on the news or open your Netflix account to see that we live in a world that is under the influence of Satan, who is called the God of this age. However, the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Satan's future is already sealed. When Jesus returns at his second coming, Satan will be bound and eventually cast into everlasting fire, never to pollute the earth with immorality or rebellion against God ever again. Now, the, Jesus, the, the demons of Jesus's day actually knew this. They sometimes know this a little bit better than the Christians of our day, because when Jesus approached the demoniac um, in the land of Gadarenes, I always pronounce it wrong. I think it's Gadarenes, uh, the demoniac, the spirit within that demoniac said to him, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? You see, the demons are fearful. They tremble before the Lord Jesus because they know that their time is short. They know that there's coming a day where they'll be bound and cast into the lake of fire, never again to deceive the nations. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus actually spoke more on eternal judgment than any other person in the entire Bible. You know, sometimes we get this idea that Jesus only spoke spoke about love, only spoke about really nice things. No, Jesus confronted people. We read in Luke chapter 12, it says, "...when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they were trampling one another." Jesus began to speak to his disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, this description of an innumerable group of people, I think if most uh, famous Christian preachers today had an enormous multitude of people in front of them, they might start with something like, hey, God loves you and he has, you know, wonderful plans for your life if you turn to him and stuff, you know, they might start with something really friendly and nice, um, something that would make the crowd feel good. In Luke chapter 12 when there was this huge group of people that came to the Lord Jesus he started speaking to them and he said uh, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees which is hypocrisy for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed nor hidden that will not be made known therefore what you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light and what you have spoken in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, and after that have no more they can do. But I will show you whom you shall fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. How about another example? In Matthew 25, we should know the passage, the story of the sheep and the goats. It's the story of Jesus separating the believers from the non-believers, those who are following him and those who are rejecting him. In Matthew 25, verse 41, Jesus says, Then he will say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. So we learn that hell is a place prepared for the devil and his angels, but also for all those who remain under his rulership. Anyone who rejects Jesus as their savior and Lord will suffer the same condemnation that the devil is receiving for his rejection of God. In John chapter eight, verse 44, uh, Jesus was speaking to a group of Jews who had rejected his message and he convicted them of judgment. So in John chapter eight, verse 44, Jesus is speaking and he says to these Jews, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe in me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God, hears God's words. Therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. What a scathing statement. Jesus said again in John chapter 12, verse 48, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I've spoken will condemn him on the last day. So we see that the Holy Spirit convicts the world that Satan and all those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ will be judged and there's no escaping judgment. Death is not an escape for humanity. The scripture says that it's appointed once for man to die and then to face the judgment. You know, even if you wanted to run away from God in death, he can still raise you from the dead and you will still stand before him on the day of judgment. So what do we need to do with this message? I mean, for, for a non-Christian in this room, you need to turn to Christ. You need to put your trust in the only hope of the world. But for us Christians, we need to recognize our own inadequacy. We need to realize that it's only the Holy Spirit who can convict people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. This isn't something in us. You know, I sometimes, well, I should say, I used to think I had to get up here and run around the stage and shout and be really animated and really try to keep your attention. But you know what? All of that is just me trying to put in that extra little bit in my flesh. But I can't convict you, I can't convince you I can faithfully proclaim God's word in context. I can be a messenger, an ambassador for Christ, begging you, imploring you to be reconciled to God, but I can't convict anyone. So what's the point of me shouting at you? What's the point of me arguing with you until we're both blue in the face? The Holy Spirit has come to convict the world, and so our reliance needs to be on Him. That's His role. Our role is to speak the truth. He'll then take the sword of the Spirit and pierce men's hearts. And secondly, we need to speak this truth in love. Like Paul said, always speaking the truth in love. You see, God is love. We know that from 1 John. God is love. And those who are filled with the Spirit of God are filled with the love of God. God's love for a lost humanity. And so we need to remember that the Lord Jesus, although he did speak on sin and judgment, although he did speak against hypocrisy and all of that, this is the same Lord Jesus who spent most of his ministry just having conversations with people. Most of his conversations weren't confrontational. Look at how, how he had a conversation with the immoral woman in John chapter 4 who was by the well. You know, Jesus was sitting by a well and this woman came to him who was renowned in the town for, you know, having multiple men in her life. And all the town had rejected her, which is why she was by the well, by herself. And Jesus just had a conversation with her about salvation, about her life. He spoke the truth in love and led her to understand that there was no salvation outside of him. And she found the savior and she rejoiced in it. And so we too need to remember that we need to preach the truth in love. And so that's all I've got for us this morning. I'm just going to um, pray and then I'm going to hand back to Leanne and the team and they're going to lead us in worship. Um, If you have any questions about something I've shared or if there's anything you disagree with and wanted to challenge me on, I'm always up for a good chat. So feel free to come and talk to me afterwards. I'll pray with you as well. If you don't know the Lord Jesus and you want to know the Lord Jesus, I'll, I'll spend time and I'll pray with you. I'll spend as much time as it takes until the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to see that the Lord Jesus is your hope. He's your future. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he gave hope for anyone who put their trust in him so that everyone could know the father in heaven. So father, we just thank you for this time we've had this morning. We thank you, Lord, for saving us. We thank you that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And Lord Jesus, that you are the light of the world, that men should not walk in darkness. Thank you that you're a faithful God and your testimony is true. And thank you for sending the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth. Lord, lead us and guide us into a deeper relationship with yourself. We thank you now. Amen.